You're listening to a message from Highway Church as we welcome Sean and Lisa Michaud for the first time. Enjoy. Man, it's so good to be here. What a privilege. You know, this is our first time here at this church, and I enjoyed the worship. It was awesome. I hate to say this, but it's so hard to find good worship. You know, when you're in, the, and we can, you know, you could sense the presence of God. Amen. Amen. So good. <laughs> Amen. I know our daughters are not here, and they're in college, and they enjoy travel. So, this is their first time not being with us stateside, right? To Massachusetts. Yeah, they're, they're always with us every year, but they're very busy. Amen. But I want to encourage you this morning, you know, God, it's true. God is so faithful. We serve a God with whom there is no impossibilities. Amen. And every time we, we're in life and we're facing a seeming impossible, we have to remember we serve a God who said his hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Amen. You know, in uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, and this is talking about the story of Abraham. We, we've heard this story. But it says in verse 18, Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And we know the story, right? He was in a place where it seemed impossible, right? He was given a promise. And I don't know where you are at this morning. I don't know what word you've been given by the doctors or what your finances may look like. It may seem impossible, right? But it says here in this, in this verse that who contrary to hope? We know a lot of times we say, oh, we make it say, oh, it's hopeless, you know? Oh, we say, well, I hope it works out, okay? But it says who contrary to hope in hope. What is this hope he's talking about? In hope. Well, in Psalm 71, in verse 5, uh, let me just turn there real quick. Psalm 71, verse 5. It says, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. And it's talking about God, that God is our hope. Right? So it says, who contrary to hope, in hope believe. So we see from this verse that Jesus is our hope. Yes. Yes. He's our hope. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. So a lot of times, you know, we, we go through life and we think, oh, we have no hope. But how many of you know if we have Jesus? Yes. Do you have Jesus this morning? Yes. Yes. Amen. We have hope. That's right. Amen. Amen. So in, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, an oath for confirmation is for them, an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge, to lay a hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters a presence behind the veil. How many of you know we have a hope? Amen. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the character of Jesus is that it's impossible for him to lie. We serve a God that whatever he says in his word is true. Yes. You can count on it. So no matter what our situation looks like, no matter who's telling you no, it's impossible. No matter what the enemy is whispering in your ear, God is not a liar. He keeps his word, and that's our hope. Amen? Amen? And if we trust in that hope, it anchors us. Right? But what happens when we don't believe that God is true? When, what happens when we believe, oh, maybe God will, maybe he will. You know, we don't know what his will is. What happens? We, we're up and down. Yes. We're not anchored. Yeah. Right? We're what they call emotional Christians. We're up one day, down the next. We don't know who we are from one day to the next. Amen. Isn't it true? 
But when we know who our God is, Amen. when we know the character of our God, how much He loves us, yes. right? We're not, we don't live by our emotions. We live by what He says. Amen. And the truth of His Word. Amen. The Word says it anchors us. Amen. Amen. You know, in, in Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred yes. makes the heart sick. Yes. When you get your eyes off of hope, who is Jesus? What happens? You get depressed, you get down, you get discouraged. Mm -hmm. Amen? So every time we find ourselves in that place where we're down discouraged, just don't condemn yourself. Talk to yourself. Why am I feeling this way? I've gotten my eyes off of hope. And his name is Jesus. Amen? And Jesus said, it is possible. All I have to do is believe what he says. Amen? So I want to encourage you this morning. We have hope. And his name is Jesus. We can trust him. We can count on him. Amen? Because he's true to his word. Amen. God bless you. Amen. How many of you are ready for the word today? Yes. How many know God is good? Yes. How many know his word is always good? Yes. Amen. You know, I've discovered whenever, how many of you ever had God just correct you before? You know, it's always good. I've never had God beat my brains in yet, but he's corrected me many times, and it's always been good. Amen? I know when you hear God, within hearing him, all the power to be able to see that fulfilled is in what he spoke to you. It produces hope in our hearts. I'm not talking about hope this morning. But really, hope, there's some people that have a misconception about hope. I'll just say this little, real quick little nugget. I've heard Christians say, I don't, no, I don't want hope, I want faith. Well, you can't have faith without hope. Right. I'm talking about godly hope. How many of you know there's a godly hope? There's a godly faith? There's a human faith and a human hope. What's a human hope? Well, I hope it gets better. I hope I get a raise. That's not godly hope. Godly hope is comes from his word, from hearing his mouth. It paints a new picture inside of your hearts. So then faith is able to be birthed through that new understanding and that new outlook you have in life. How many understand that? So hope is the, godly hope is the precursor to godly faith. And when you study out the word, hope comes from the word just as faith does. Amen? Amen. But today I want to talk about how God does whatever he pleases. See, sometimes when we hear that, that phrase, it conjures up all of the ways that people have used that phrase in the past about how come my grandmother didn't get healed? Well, God does whatever he pleases. <laughs> and it's almost always used in a, in a negative context that is never the way it's revealed in God's word. I want you to look at, in the Word, do this later on, look up phrases that say, pleases God or brings God pleasure. I don't know, you know, it's going to be a whole lot of different ways of saying that, and every single one of them, none of it is destruction. That's right. right. Amen. None of it is not hearing your voice. None of them is refusing you. We had some people come when we had the Bible school in Russia back in 1999 and 2000, the very first year where we had the Bible school in Russia, and we had a couple come who had lost a child. How many of you know that's a devastating thing? Yes. And so they got up and they, how many of you know, understand that if we, how many of you understand this life is not how God wants it to be? So we have to sort that out. We have to get that settled right now. This world is not functioning the way he wants it to function. Because if you don't understand that, it'll drive you crazy. Thinking there's something that God is one day in a good mood, one day in a bad mood. Like my daughter told me, it's really funny. She said, I thought that, I don't know, I didn't know what happened in the Old Testament. God looked like this way, but then what happened in the New Testament, right. Jesus, right. now God could truly deal with man the way he always wanted. 
in Jesus Christ. <laughs> but this world is not functioning the way that God wants it to function. That's why we have to believe God and say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this couple came, and how many of you know, when you go through a tragedy in life, because we live in this fallen world, that if we're not careful, if we're not grounded in the truth, our experiences could then start forming our doctrine. And we can start reading into Scripture and placing our experience into Scripture that's not even there. And so they said, what to do, and they came and taught this, what to do when God says no? Now, why did they come up with this doctrine? Because they had prayed for God to heal. Now, this, they didn't come from our background. We, they came from another country. And so they had the opportunity. We went ahead and let them minister. We didn't know them. Now, how many of you know one message isn't going to mess everything up? We were okay. We had them for four hours every single day, five days a week for all that whole year. It didn't, it didn't, they, you know, how many of you know we, that was diluted out by the truth. But I was able to hear where a lot of people come from. And the reason they came up with this understanding was because they had asked God to heal their child. But they didn't actually have an understanding of the cross, how healing works, authority, laying hands on the sick, how many of you know Jesus told us to go and heal the sick? Amen. Now, we're not the power source. We carry Jesus in us. He's the power source. We have the Holy Ghost. But we have to be the ones who lay hands on the sick. All of that power of Christ in you lies dormant until we exercise that reality and utilize it. How many of you know God wants us to utilize what he's given us? But we have to utilize it. So I understood where they were coming from. I didn't rebuke them. I wasn't going to pounce on them. You know, they just lost a child. But I kept it in my mind and said, you know what? This is where the body of Christ is in many places around the world. And as much as I'm able, I'm going to go and I'm going to teach people things that would get them to stop believing this about God and start seeing him the way he really is. And so today I want to talk about that God does do whatever he pleases. Let's turn, over, let's turn over to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Let's go to verse 3. Look at verse 1. Let's just start in verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord... Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Now, when you look at this and you go into the, the, the second verse, I'm not going to really go there, but the, it's talking about the difference between serving God and the difference between the Gentiles who were serving idols. Okay, we're not going to go into that, but I'm going to go to verse 3, and we're going to see this verse that has been quoted in a way that I don't believe God ever intended. But verse 3 says, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. How many of you know God does whatever He pleases? You, how many of you have discovered you can't make God do something? So it's not about us trying to get God to do something. It's about us discovering what God wants to do and agreeing with it. How many of you know Jesus was not our idea? Oh God, if you would please just send your son and die for us. How many of you know that was, we never asked for that. We had to be revealed to us what God did and what he wants to do. You mean God wants to save me? Yes, look at Jesus. Look at what he did. How many of you know we have to tell people and the Holy Spirit then has to convince them? That God loves them and he's accepted them in Christ Jesus. Now will they accept the sacrifice and accept Christ? But I mean, you know, the Lord has to convince us of who he is and what he's done. We don't need to convince him of anything. We just need to find out what is it that pleases God and get on board. How many of you know 
that when you start discovering who God is and you get on board with what he has provided, you start walking in the provision. But it was there all along. But we have to become acquainted with who he is. Become acquainted with what he's done so that we can walk in and be the people that he's made us to be. So like I said, this verse many times is used to explain something that is negative or something that we just don't have an answer for. I mean, you know, sometimes Christians, we just throw out, we throw out something because we don't know what to say, but we want to sound spiritual. How come my sister died? Well, you know, God only takes the best flowers. Well, thank you, God. You mean to tell me he doesn't have a better flower up in heaven? I mean, you know, this world is down here, as good as it is, there's nothing to be compared to what they have up here. And you say he needs something because he's, he's, he's lacking in heaven? That's just foolishness. That is, I don't have an answer, but I can't admit it. Let me sound spiritual. How many of you know there's many people, ministers in the body of Christ, who don't actually know how to help people? One guy in one of my Bible schools in Russia, he'd gone to his pastor, and the pastor told me this, telling him he was struggling with a certain sin. How many of you know if someone comes up to you, if you're a minister, even if you're not a minister, and they come up to you and they're telling you, I'm struggling with this certain sin. It's because they don't want it. Right. That's right. Or they wouldn't be talking to you about it. Think That's about right. it. That's right. And they've tried to not do it. Right. Long before they ever came up to you to talk to you about it. And his answer was, just stop. Now, why did he tell him that? I'm not knocking the man, okay? He told him that because he didn't have any answers. How I many you know God didn't tell us just to stop? He sent the solution, Jesus. That's right. And if you're struggling with sin, I talked about this yesterday in the Bible school, one of my favorite verses. We're not going to turn to it, but I'm going to quote it. 1 John 3, 6. You can write it down. 1 John 3, 6. The Bible clearly says, if we abide in him, we do not sin. You don't have a sin problem if you're born again. You have an abiding problem. And the reason why you might have an abiding problem is because you don't know how good God is and you're scared to run to Him. So let's keep going here. I could stay on there, stay on that. But we're going to look at now what is, what is it that pleases God to do for us? Notice that Psalm 115, verse 3 tells us that it is God doing what pleases Himself, not it is what we do to please God. Now, don't misunderstand me. We can do lots that please Him, but all, when you really study out Scripture, what pleases God from our perspective is when we believe Him and that so influences our lives that we live according to that true belief. Amen. I think there's a difference. I'm not cheating on my wife. Why? Because God will be mad at me and I might lose my salvation, and my wife might leave. How many of you know that's better than doing it, but that's not the true motivation God's looking for? How many of you know if I told my wife, you know what, I would, I would cheat on you, but I'm scared you'd leave me? How many of you know that doesn't really bless her? <laughs> now, that's better than cheating, but how many of you know that's not... I'm going to be a whole lot better. You know what? You don't control me. I don't control you. I can leave anytime I want. You can leave anytime you want. I don't want to leave. I don't want anyone else. I mean, that's a totally different taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you know when you taste something that's good, you don't want the inferior? That's right. I'm from New Orleans. How many of you ever had good gumbo? Don't give me that Campbell's can stuff. How many of you ever had such a good apple pie, it ruined you for all others? Yes. I had the best apple pie one time in Shreveport, Louisiana. 
And every pie I keep comparing to that one. And I had that pie back in 1997. It's ruined me. Because all pies aren't that inferior, but it is to that one. How many know when you truly taste Jesus, everything becomes inferior? And that's part of the thing that empowers our abiding when we've tasted him. How many know if you have a billion dollars in your home and someone has a, has a $10 bill trying to tempt you, entice you to come outside, you're not tempted. What am I leaving a billion for that for? How many understand what I'm saying? When we know who God is, when we know how good he is, when we've tasted his goodness, oh, taste and see that the Lord is full of wrath. That's not what it says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Folks, God has given us spiritual perceptions that mimic our natural um, perceptions, senses, that we can literally taste him. Not physically. How many understand what I'm saying? We're not literally, when Jesus in John chapter 6, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they walked away. He wasn't literal. He wasn't talking about literal. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22, chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to start looking at what pleases God. Because folks, when you start to look at what pleases God to do, remember he does whatever he pleases. So we're talking about what God does, right? So we're talking about that today. We're not talking about our response to what he's done. We're talking about what pleases him to do. That's what we're focusing on today. Amen? And so 1 Samuel chapter 12, let's look at verse 22. Notice it says, for the Lord will not forsake his people. How many of you are glad that God will not forsake us? And when you taste and see that he's good, you're not going to forsake him. But notice this, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. It's because of his goodness, folks. Because his name's on the line. How many of you know if a father walks out on the family, his name is now sullied? That man walked out on his family, left his wife and kids is sitting there. Because a little, I mean, most people walk out because there's some difficulty sometimes, right? They go down to the store and they never come back. That's sad when that happens, but it happens, right? Notice God won't do it for his own namesake. Yes, and you get in on it, but it's for his own, because of his own character. Because of who he is, he will not forsake you. It does not say because of you. If it was because of you, then my goodness, we're in trouble. Because I don't know about you, but I've come a long way, but I've got a long way still to go. But notice what it says. It has pleased the Lord to make you his people. I want you to notice, you didn't talk God into this. Sometimes we think we've talked him into something. You know, how, you know how we know when we think we've talked him into this? When we become so consumed with our own failure, we're sure that God is ready to just walk away from us. Right. Right. See, it pleased him to make you his people. Why? Because God does whatever he pleases. You did not make him do this. I don't know. That's that's a hallelujah moment because we did not make him make. We did not make him make us his people. He had to tell us. He had to offer us. Would you become a citizen of my kingdom? Would you? Would you? What's your name? Billy. Billy, would you become a citizen of my kingdom? It's a good kingdom. Will you become a part of my family? Why should I do that? Well, let me tell you. And he starts telling you, (laughs) you know what? He's trying to convince you through the goodness of the gospel because of the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Notice that it's not, God does not drive anyone to repentance. He leads. He always leads. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He will not drive you into all truth. (laughs) But yet God's given me cancer to drive me into a truth. Do you see the connection? It pleased him to make us his people. That's why in this world we get all kind (laughs) of, this sounds really good, but what's the catch? 
Where's the fine print? I mean, there's no fine print in Jesus. It's so simple. We've had to have people help us misunderstand. There's no hidden agenda with God. But I tell you what, for most Christians, they think there's a hidden agenda. Why? Because when they came, it was all good. But as soon as they got saved, now it's terrible. Now their life is full of stress. Now they're on this performance wheel. It was good news when they came, but man, the fine print, I didn't see the fine print. Now me understand what I'm saying. My God, I'm locked into this. Oh my God, it's a death cult now. That's the, unfortunately some people's experience. Because they don't know who, good, who, how, who God is and how good he is. How many of you know when you get set free in the heart, you're going to give him everything you got? But you're free. I've gone everywhere I've gone, not because I'm trying to pay God back, but because of how good he is, and I want other people to know this. So God made you his people because it pleased him. Because he does whatever he pleases. Let's turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Go to verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. How many of you know it's because that's what pleased him? God does whatever he wants. It's his will. That's his pleasure. What is it that would please you for breakfast today? What is your desire for breakfast today? It's all the same way saying, what is your will for breakfast today? So if it was according to God's will, that was what pleased him. You were not born, as it says, by the will of man. In other words, it wasn't your will that got you born again. It was his will revealed to you and you said, you mean I just have to give... Just let you do this? Yeah. How many of you came to the end of yourself, stopped trying to be strong, and just said, okay, God, here I am, and boom, your heart was changed. You didn't do it. You didn't beg God to save you. He was, folks, let's turn over. Turn over real quickly to 1 Corinthians. Second Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it tells us, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. In other words, we represent Christ. But how many of you know, if you don't know Christ, you can't represent him truly? That's right. That's right. How many of you know God is a good God? Because if he wasn't a good God, there'd be a whole lot of people executed. Let me explain what I mean by that. If I represent, if I'm an ambassador of the United States, and I go and I mis misrepresent the government, that's an executable offense. How many understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I misrepresented the head. I misrepresented the government. I misrepresented <laughs> the authority I'm supposed to be representing. And so if I'm telling people that this is how God is and he's not that way, I'm misrepresenting God. Right. Right. How many of you know it's a good thing he's not, he, he, he doesn't do things like that? Yeah. If we're his ambassador, we're supposed to be not representing ourselves or even our own mind. We're supposed to be representing his mind. And his thoughts. And what he wants. And what he wants to do, whether or not we even agree with it. Amen. I mean, there's been many ambassadors who had to end up resigning because they didn't agree. But while they were in the position, they still had to declare the position. They didn't have the, they didn't have the right to disagree with the position. 
and being an ambassador. But look what it says. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Do you see that God is the one he's... This gives the mindset that God is begging you to let him save you, not you begging him to save you. Oh, God, heal me. He's not saying, would you just let me? I want you to think about it. If Jesus bore all of your sicknesses, he did that so that you would let him. It's not about us begging. See, when we're begging, we're showing we don't, under, we don't know him. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread and healing is the children's bread. That's a new revelation God just gave me right now as I said it. That's good stuff. But how many of you have ever been in the begging mode? I have myself without even thinking about it. Oh, God. Oh. And there's stress. I mean, there shouldn't be any stress. God, Jesus came to give us a rest relationship, not a stressed relationship. If you're stressed, this is this stuff I've had to receive for myself. If you're stressed, you're basing your, your relationship on you and not him. But now we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It is God saying, let me save you. Amen. Because it pleases him to save us. Let's go into Psalm 35. I'm skipping over a few of these things. But that's okay. I mean, God sets you where he pleases in the body. I mean, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to ever pray the prayer that God would make you something. Oh, God, make me a pastor. Oh, God, make me an apostle. Oh, God, make me a successful businessman or woman. You don't have to do none of that. That's right. Because he's the one who sets you as he pleases. Find out where he sets you yes. and the blessings on it. That's correct. I mean, it does no good me wanting someone else's ministry. I'm never going to get that because that's not where God has sent me or I'd be doing that. Now, it may be something similar, but it's not going to be that. And so as we rest in him and have that good relationship with him, we're going to know, as we mentioned, we're going to know where we're going to start sensing where he, he's setting us. You know, God flow, you know, God is a smart person. How I many you know if you're smart, you never send someone to do a job, I'm using that term loosely, if they don't want to do it. Right. How many of you know you want people that have a passion for this? Yes. And Jesus is the one who gives you that passion. So what is it when you get alone with God that you have a passion for? Orphans? Rescuing people from the sex trade? Praise and worship? Bible studies? Business? And be a kingdom funder? How many understand there's many things that we see, but we start to doubt those because surely that can't be God because I didn't hear this thunder from the outside. No, he now lives in you. You receive that from the inside. Just that knowing. You start seeing it as you get your eyes off yourself. How many of you have ever just been worshiping God, thinking about all kinds of things? You stop that, you get your eyes on him, and you truly are looking to him, and all of a sudden you start seeing things differently. Correct. And you start seeing things take place. That's God. It's that simple, folks, because <laughs> he now lives inside of you. So let's turn over to Psalm 35. Let's look at this verse. Psalm 35 and verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad. How many times have you seen that the Bible tells us to be joyful? But then people, sometimes some people in the church will try to make you feel guilty for being joyful. Yes. Like you're not serious. Oh, I'm so serious. You have no idea. Yes. Seriously loving him. How many know if there was a man and a woman and they meet, how many understand the way this thing works? 
man and a woman, they meet. They discover, they're interested, and they're together. How many of you know the, the way they respond and the way they act? If they're discouraged, someone's discouraged, what's wrong? It's not normal to be discouraged in the presence of someone you like to be around. It's a normal thing to be full of joy, to be happy, and to always want to be around that person. But it says, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause, and let them say continually. Folks, there is a power, there's power in saying the truth of what God, who God is and what he wants to do. It's not works. It's not formula. You are coming into an agreement with God's heart. How many of you know when you confessed the Lord Jesus was not when he became Lord. That was when you came into agreement with his heart to be, he wanted to be your savior. He wanted to be your Lord. That's all for good stuff. And that's when it blessed you and benefited you. It's not when it became true. That's when it became true for you. I understand the difference. So let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I want you to notice, God does whatever he pleases and he has pleasure in your prosperity. Now, let's take a look at that Hebrew word for prosperity because it was translated as, as prosperity in the English in my translation, King, New King James. Anybody have the King James? What does it say in the King James? Pleasure for prosperity? Does it say prosperity? Prosperity. The Hebrew, see, there's no one English word to properly translate this. It's the Hebrew word shalom. How many have heard of shalom? And shalom doesn't just mean peace. It includes peace. Shalom means completeness. I don't even know completeness means there's nothing left that needs to be done. So when I'm saying shalom, brother, in the name of Jesus, I'm saying I'm thanking God that he is making you complete. Now, folks, in the spirit and in Christ, we're already complete, but our, our lives and our minds and our souls are catching up. How many understand what I'm saying? So when God takes shalom in his servants, he takes pleasure in you being fully complete, fully furnished. How many of you know fully furnished? How many of you have been in a house that wasn't fully furnished? How many of you have been in a house that was fully furnished? Folks, God takes pleasure in you being fully furnished. It's soundness. It's welfare. We're talking about your well-being. It's peace. How many of you know peace is a good thing between you and your neighbor? Peace is awesome. And if you don't believe it, wait until you, if you ever have a bad one. Thank God we don't. But I'm saying peace is a good thing. And let me tell you, your peace is because of Jesus. When you read Ephesians chapter 2, it says, He himself is our peace. How many of you have Jesus? He's living on the inside of you. Do you know you have peace 24-7? Because he's our peace. Whenever we lose our peace, you didn't actually lose it or you'd have to lose Jesus. You just lost your perception of the one who's your peace and you're looking at something else. And what's the solution? Get back to looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Amen? So it means... Total completeness, total soundness, total wholeness in every area of your life. That's what Jesus said. I came to give you an abundant life, Amen. not a bum life. Right. <laughs> but how many of you know some people, they come to Christ and they get a bum life? I'm not making fun of anyone. I'm trying to say, if any of you are struggling in these areas, please start discovering who God is. 
He didn't come to give you a bum life. He came to give you an abundant life. And let me tell you, an abundant life cannot be, cannot be received. It cannot be experienced apart from true fellowship with him. Because he is the source of that abundance. And abundance isn't just things. Because you can have things and not have an abundant life. And you cannot have things and have an abundant life because he is the source of abundance. So when you have him, you have everything. And everything is subject to change. So God takes pleasure in bringing all of these things into our lives. Completeness, soundness, wholeness, peace, prosperity. Not just with today's day and age when we think of prosperity, we're thinking of only money. It's not just only money, it's everything. Prosperity in your relationships. Prosperity in your relationship with God. I mean, he wants you to prosper in your relationship with God. How many of you know 3 John verse 2 is only one chapter. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I believe and I desire above all things that you would prosper and be in health and prosper in all things. How many of you remember that verse? Yes. But then it says, just as your soul prospers. Yes. Let's go look at there real quickly because this, this perfectly exemplifies Psalm chapter 37, uh, 35, the verse we just read in verse 27. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as or even as your soul prospers. What is this showing us? It's showing us that the soul prospering is the key to all other areas prospering. When our soul is in tune with Him, our eyes are upon Him, we are now in the environment where everything can be supplied. So we need to be focused on that first and foremost. You don't need to be focused on succeeding in this realm. You need to be be focused on succeeding in your relationship with Him. And it's all based upon Him. Realizing that it pleases Him to make you as people. It pleases him to make himself available to you. It pleases him for you to spend time with him. Let's go down to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. How many of you started to see that just in the verses, and I haven't gone through every verse in the Bible, we can't, it, would, it would take a little bit longer time. But how many of you have seen so far that which pleases God is good? Yes. <laughs> I've never seen the verse where it pleases God to give you a little bit of balance in your life in the area of some struggle and some suffering so that you don't become puffed up. But you know what? The Bible doesn't teach that God does that. The Bible says we are to so humble ourselves. He's not going to humble us. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. But you see, here's the problem. Listen, if we don't humble ourselves, which means we agree with him. How many of you know a humble person is someone who's not arrogant? Mm-hmm. Not someone who's weak. Mm-hmm. How many know a humble man, if I'm, if I'm being a jerk to he and his family, a humble man will give me the chance to stop. Yes. But if I refuse and then I get violent, how many of you know the humble man will have to do something? So humble men, doesn't, hum, being humble doesn't mean you're weak and a doormat. It means you agree with God and you love God and you're dealing with God based on the truth of who he is. Amen. That's what a humble person is. Yes. They're not interjecting their ideas about who God is into everything. Well, I know that's what the Bible says, but this is my experience. That's not a humble person. Right. <laughs> I don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So 140 Psalm, Psalm 147, Psalm 147, 
go to verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. I want you to notice what brings God pleasure. Now this I'm looking at a little bit about, about us, how we please Him. Notice what it says. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. Now I want you to think about what it's saying. How many of you know sometimes we read the Bible and we don't stop and think? I've done it many times. When I'm done reading, what did I just read? I don't even remember. But I read it. When it says that he takes pleasure in those who fear him, it's not talking about that we're scared of God. It's talking about having a fear of the Lord. Now remember, Lord, what is a working definition of that phrase, the fear of the Lord? Since it's, it's throughout the word, we can't get around it, folks. And it's not something that's contrary to the message of Christ and grace. So, so, so I was like, Lord, I've heard the definitions that people say when you have a fear, when you have utmost respect, fear and, and all these things, you know, you reverence God. How many of you know that's all good? But I was like, Lord, I, I would love a working definition that I can see and understand if actually it's taking place in my life. And I believe the Lord gave me a definition, a working definition that for me, and I've been sharing it with people and they've been blessed by that. Would you like to hear that working definition of the fear of the Lord because it pleases God. Okay, here we go. A true fear of the Lord is simply desiring Him above everything else. Doesn't that make sense? It takes care of all the... It removes all of the... Ooh, what is that? Uh, in case it's something. God takes pleasure in those who desire Him above everything else. I mean, that's congruent with grace, congruent with Jesus. When you desire Him above anything else, you have a proper fear of the Lord. In other words, nothing else is competing with His attention in your life. Notice the Bible also says that he takes pleasure in those who hope in his mercy. Folks, how many of you know the Bible says exactly what it means to say? Amen. That means that God loves it when we know that he doesn't want to give us what we deserve. He takes pleasure for those who hope in His mercy. In other words, we have a picture of God being good to us even though we don't deserve it. We're not believing that God is giving us what we deserve. We're believing that God is giving us what Jesus deserves simply because we're His kids. How many of you have ever seen people who had a child who was unruly, but yet the parents are still giving that child things? You know why? Because it's their child. Well, I wouldn't do that. You're not supposed to do that. It's not your kid. How many of you know a parent and a child relationship? You don't have that relationship. That's right. That's right. I just can't see why they bought their son a new bicycle after what he just did. You're not the parent. That doesn't, I guarantee you they didn't do it to condone the bad behavior. How many of you know your child can mess up? How many of you have kids? Your child can do some of the dumbest things, but you still to call them in for dinner. <laughs> Little side story. Remember one time my mother told me to cut the grass. It was 14 years old, South Louisiana. How many of you know it gets hot? 100% humidity. My mother and my father told my mother, it was during the summer, to tell Sean to cut the grass today. So my mother came up to me and said, Sean, your father said for you to cut the grass today. And I said, no. I don't like cutting the grass. He doesn't even pay me to cut the grass. I don't even know when you're 14, you're real stupid. What do you mean you don't pay me? I eat his food, use his water, his electricity. I got a bed, I got clothes. What do you mean? 
But I mean, when you're 14, you're dumb. You don't, you're not thinking. You don't know how much things cost. How many understand what I'm talking about? Well, fine. I'll just go get in my own place. Okay. You'll be back in five minutes. So I told my mother no. So my mother, my mother tried to be spiritual. And she said, well, okay, well, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. So I was like, I don't care. Then I won't eat. That went on all day. I'm sitting there watching TV. My dad walks in. He can tell grass wasn't cut. He just walks in. He didn't even look at me. How many know when your dad don't look at you? You know he's not looking at you because he's about to choke you. He just walks by. I'm sitting right there. He saw me the whole way because the seat where I was sitting, the front, you can see the front door from it. So he saw me from the time he walked in to the time he walked by me through the kitchen into his bedroom. So she, he's sitting down for dinner. And my, my dad says, how come the grass didn't get cut today? I could hear everything even though I wasn't in the kitchen. I was sitting in the next room hearing everything. How come the grass didn't get cut today? My mother said, don't worry, I've handled this. I told him that the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And my dad said, I don't care if he eats or not. That grass is going to be cut by 7 o'clock tonight, and it was 6.15, or his butt is mine. So, Sean, you better get in here and eat. You're going to need the strength. I mean, no, that was out the window about not cutting the grass. So I ran there and ate real quick, and I'm out there running with the lawnmower to have it done by 7 o'clock tonight. That doesn't really match what I was saying, but I want to tell that story. In other words, I didn't deserve to eat, but my, my dad made me eat. Of course, he, he didn't operate fully the way God would have, but, but my dad, I remember the very next summer, I remember one day I looked at him. I mean, sometimes you just have those moments where you mature. And I saw my dad walk off of work. He used to leave the house every day at 6. Come home every night at 6 or whatever. And nobody made him do that. And it dawned on me that my dad was a good man. Not perfect. And I, in my own thought, I said, you know what? I'm going to cut the grass and take out the trash without him even having to ask. It's the least I can do. So I remember my dad come, come driving home one night, and I'm out there cutting the grass and the look on his face. <laughs> he was so happy. He was so pleased. Why? Not because he made me do something, but because I understood. How I many you know when we start loving people, not because we have to, when we start ministering to our neighbors, not because we have to, because we're doing our duty. How many of you know you can do your duty, but there's no life in it? But you start doing things because you're, you, you understand how good God is and you want to share that with others. How many of that pleases him? So yes, it pleases him to do the right thing, but only if we have the right understanding. But God wants us to know that he wants us to hope in his mercy. It gives him pleasure when we hope in his mercy, when we desire him above all things, and when we know he doesn't want to give us what we deserve. How I many you know mercy is not giving someone what they deserve? And you don't give it to them. Grace then goes a step further and then gives them what they don't deserve. Mercy, God didn't give us hell. Grace, he then saved us and gave us him in heaven. And he wants us to hope in that. He wants us to know, you know what? I don't deserve, man, he's just quoting this morning, debts being paid off, man, about a year ago or so, I'm looking at some of my debts. And folks, how many of you know, it wasn't because of frivolity on my point. And I'm sitting there looking at it. I mean, the devil will mess with you. 
looking at it. And I'm like, oh. And you have that mindset and that thought. I wonder if God will help me with my debts. Now, I know all this stuff, but how many of those those little thoughts? The devil tried to plant those. You never get what you deserve, folks. If you deserved it, you didn't need God. And so God spoke to my heart, and he said, Did I pay your debt of sin? Yeah. Was it my debt? No. Did you do it yourself? How many of you know you can't expect God to, do, to, to fix the mess you did yourself? How many of you ever heard that kind of? Did you not do the mess yourself of sin? Did he not pay that debt? Did he not give you what you didn't deserve? And then not give you what you did deserve? And so he spoke to Martin and said, if, if I will pay your debt of sin, why wouldn't I pay any of your other debts? Now, folks, that does not mean you rack up your credit cards. That's not what I'm talking about. But God is a good God. He loves us. He wants to be involved in every process. He takes pleasure in our prosperity. He takes pleasure in our shalom. But we have to be saying it continually. Why? Because if we don't say that continually, we'll say the other stuff continually. Folks, we're always saying something continually, at least in our minds. Have you ever got a bill, you, you unexpected bill in the mail? All of a sudden, how many of you have? How many of you ever had a good day drain out by getting an unexpected bill? What's the temptation to say? Oh Lord, how am I going to pay this one? Instead, say thank you, Jesus. You've got this one too. You take pleasure in my prosperity. How many understand what I'm saying? You're going to be saying something, so say the right thing. Yes. I mean, God has told us to say the right thing. Why? Because we aren't, we're saying the wrong stuff. Whatever we focus on, whatever we say out of our mouths, folks, is not about, is not formula. We're focusing on and we're actually empowering in our life. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Psalm 149. We're going to be closing up. Psalm 149. Let's go to verse 4. God does whatever he pleases. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God has to reveal to us what pleases him? What he wants to do? Verse 4, Psalm 149, verse 4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Why? Because he does whatever he pleases. And he takes pleasure in us. You know, sometimes we just have to believe the word and humble ourselves. Me? You know, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that God takes pleasure in us because we don't even take pleasure in ourselves. How many of you know you can have a self-hate? Because of your mistakes. Maybe you think you're not as talented as someone else. You think, what value do I have? You have value. You have more value than you can imagine. Stop comparing yourself to others, the Bible says. But the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Notice humble is right there with he takes pleasure. Let him take pleasure in you. Just do this sometimes. Stand up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, okay, Lord, here I am. Take pleasure in me. We're not talking about being arrogant, thinking you're God's gift or whatever. But believe that he's given you a gift because he loves you, because he takes pleasure in you. Lord, here I am. Thank you. Thank you. Remember that blesses him. When we start the day off like that, and I don't say I do it all the time, right? But when we start the day off like that, we're setting ourselves up for a different flow throughout the day. We're now expecting. We're now anticipating God's goodness. Instead of just reacting to what happens during the day. We start off the day like that, letting God take pleasure in us, and we take pleasure in Him. How many know it's a reciprocity? We love Him because He first loved us. We take pleasure in Him because He first took pleasure in us. When you do that, you start to, you see things differently that come against you during the day. And like, this is nothing. This is not getting me off of my foundation. Amen. 
The word here for salvation, he will beautify the humble with salvation, is the Hebrew word Yeshua. You ever heard that one? He will beautify the humble with Jesus. Look it up in Hebrew. Don't take my word for it. It's there. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I went and looked it up myself. You can do it too. The Hebrew word for Yeshua means salvation, deliverance, welfare, prosperity, deliverance, victory. It means victory. I didn't make up these definitions. That's in the Strong's. I mean, God's made you more than a conqueror. Why? Because you've been given salvation. You've been given Jesus. Because it pleased him to give it to you. Amen. There's a whole lot more that I could say. But I just want you to say today and and just focus on what we talked about today and just say, thank you, God. You do whatever you please. Whatever pleases you, you do. And this is what pleases you. It pleases you to save me. It pleases you to heal me. It pleases you to prosper me. It pleases you to give me peace. And Jesus, you are my peace. You start talking like that, your whole atmosphere will change. You know what I've discovered? How many of you have been through a hard time? How many of you have discovered as long as you're in the depressed and in the dumps about the situation, nothing changes? But as soon as you decide enough is enough and get your mind back on Christ, that's when things have the potential to change. So why not just stay in this place? Because if you get depressed with that bill you didn't expect, that, that doctor's report you didn't expect, it's not going to change until you get over here by letting, saying continually, let the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in the prosperity and the health and the peace and the prosperity and the wholeness and the soundness of me. Make it personal. Not just his people, but of me. Stay in that place and you'll start to see a difference in your life. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray today. Let's stand. Father, we just thank you for the word today. We thank you that your word never changes. Father, I thank you that, Lord, life can change, circumstances can change, situations can change, but when we get into your word, it never changes. The promises are still there. Jesus is still there. Hope is still there. Faith is still there. Your goodness is still there. Thank you, Jesus, that it pleases you to save us. Thank you, Father, that you do whatever you please, and that's a good thing. Thank you, Father, we can hope in you. Thank you, Father, that we can look to you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you that those who came in maybe with a heavy heart, Lord, I see a lot of people, lights were going on with lots of people during this service, lots of people during this word. We thank you that, Lord, your word is light. Lights go on when your truth is preached. Thank you for liberty that is is released when your word is declared. Thank you, Father, that your word never produces anxiety, it produces liberty. So, Father, I just thank you for everyone here. I thank you, Lord. You're going to bring this message back to every one of our remembrance when we're going through things. And we'll say, Father, you take pleasure in my welfare. You take pleasure in my wholeness. You love me so much, Jesus, that you came and moved in. How many of you can recognize that you don't move anywhere you, well, usually you don't move anywhere you don't want to move, and certainly not God. How many, of you, how many of you are born again? How many of you recognize Jesus now lives inside of you? He thinks so much of you, he moved in. And he's not like the tenant from hell who you can't ever get out. He's a good tenant, and he's never leaving. So you might as well enjoy his goodness. How many of you ever met someone and started to have fellowship with someone that were there all the time and said, man, I wish I'd known. I would have started talking to you sooner. <laughs> Jesus loved you so much that he moved in. 
He's not far away anymore. You who once were far off, Ephesians 2.13, He, not you, He has brought near by the blood of Jesus. Folks, you're as close as you're ever going to get to Jesus. You're only far in your thoughts. What you're thinking on, what you're meditating on. Jesus is as close as your mind on Him. So Father, I thank You that we are people that have a true fear of the Lord. We desire You above everything else. And Father, I thank You for releasing captives today. Those who were captive in their minds, seeing things the wrong way. Thank You, Father, that as we renew our minds... You are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think because the power of your word, the power of your love, the power of your truth is flowing in our hearts. So we thank you, Lord, that it pleased you to make us your people. We thank you that we are free in you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you love the Lord this morning? How many know in Jesus it just gets better and better? It's supposed to, folks. It's not supposed to get worse and worse. There's no fine print where you find out what you really got yourself into. There was no hidden agenda. It was let me save you, period. Amen. God loves us. He takes pleasure in our salvation. We just have to hope in His mercy. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Pastor. Amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.